Back in 1994, Nikki Massey was about to start her freshman year of college. And it was just like this little taste of independence. And it was just so exciting to me. She hoped she'd be the first in her family to graduate. I was going to be the one to go to college because, you know, I was the little bookworm in the family. I was just raised on college being the dream um, and, and, you know, the sort of pathway to success. And initially, it started out great. She was going to this small college outside of Baltimore. Her mom helped with tuition when she could, but Nikki got most of it covered with scholarships and financial aid. But then her sophomore year, her mom landed a higher-paying job, and everything changed. And So when she got that job that um, paid a lot more, it ended up that, you know, a lot of my financial aid dropped out. I, I got some loans, but it didn't cover any, everything. Her mom's bump in income was all it took. The financial aid office changed her package, and she was suddenly on the hook for way more tuition. And that's when I was, you know, really like, oh man, this is, I have to pay this. I'm supposed to pay this. Even though her mom was earning more, she had her own expenses and couldn't help much. So Nikki took out loans and got a waitressing job, all of this on top of a full course load. At the time, I just remember feeling like, you know, how can I do all of this? Like, I kind of felt a little bit trapped, and I just generally don't respond well to that. Nikki wasn't sleeping enough. She was living off of ramen noodles. Her grades were dropping, and she never had enough time to see her friends. I just felt like I remembered feeling just very alone. Her roommates even pulled her aside one day and told her, hey, you can't keep living like this. Then at the end of her sophomore year, she decided she needed a change. And so I took time off with the intentions of sort of just getting my life together. I just knew that I couldn't continue on the way I was going. The break was supposed to be just a few months, but it was actually years before Nikki was back in the classroom. I'm Mary Mahrez, and welcome to This Is Uncomfortable, a show for Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. This week, we've got a story about a parent who makes financial choices she never expected to keep history from repeating itself. And later, a look at just how different higher ed could feel this fall. So, yeah, Nikki took some time away from school, about seven years. And in that time, a lot had changed. She had two little girls and was working full-time in admin at a nonprofit. Every day, she'd go to work, drop her kids off to a babysitter, go to night classes, then stay up late doing homework. Before getting up and doing it all over again. So I was sort of a zombie. But she was way more prepared than before. And in three years, she graduated with a degree in English. And, and it's just like, I remember everything about that moment because it was so surreal because I was so happy that, well, I was happy that I finished. I was proud of myself. I was happy that it was over. Eventually, years later, she got a master's in communications and took on even more loans. She still has about $100,000 to pay off. She knew that when it came time for her two daughters to head to college, she wanted it to be different for them. No loans, no full-time jobs. I wanted things to be manageable for them because I didn't feel like they were manageable for me when I was in college. And I felt very overwhelmed, and I didn't want that for them. 
Nikki's daughters are now 18 and 21, and they're all really close. Her daughters always go to her for advice, and lately they've all been bonding by learning TikTok dances together. Nikki says her eldest is totally type A. She's the one who's always on time. She's the one, if she makes a plan to do something, she, like, you know, puts it in her phone. And her youngest is a little more free-spirited. She can sculpt, she can paint, she can draw things, and she's just so artistically inclined. Her oldest wants to be a teacher, and the youngest is interested in social work. Nikki says it's always been super important to her that her daughters don't let money dictate which college they go to. So ever since they were born, she tried setting aside money for their education. But something would always come up, like a car repair or a big medical bill. By the time they were in high school... I started really in earnest thinking about, okay, well, how how are we going to pay for this? She managed to stash away a little less than $1,000, but she still needed money for the big stuff, and the girl's dad was pretty much out of the picture. I'm a one-income household. I need another income. I don't need a husband, is what I used to say. (laughs) Nikki had one objective, make more money. But she was already pretty slammed, working full-time and raising two kids. And just for fun on the side, she was running this healthy lifestyle blog. She knew she'd have to get creative. And so she wondered. If I can make a decent part-time income with, with blogging, then, you know, my job has my, you know, my household expenses covered. And then the blog can be for, you know, the tuition stuff and, you know, anything else. So she started taking online classes and webinars to learn how to really monetize her blog. And she upgraded her camera so she could take nicer photos. Slowly, she started building more of a following and collaborating with brands. And while things were ramping up, her oldest daughter went off to college an hour north of Baltimore. She was awarded a few scholarships plus financial aid, which meant Nikki was only on the hook for $2,500 a semester. She could definitely manage that. And if she could just earn a little more, she could start saving for her younger daughter's tuition and make sure they had some emergency funds. And, like, why was it important for you to help pay for her college or for their college? I didn't want her to feel alone in it. I wanted her to feel like she had a a, a partner in it. I I never had any intention of paying 100% of my child's college tuition. You know, I sat her down and I said, kid, you're going to have to have summer jobs. You're going to have to, you know, try and get a gig while you're home for, you know, winter break. You're going to have to, you know, be a good saver. Um, But I I did want to sort of contribute. And so it feels like so much of this is just not wanting your kids to repeat the struggles you dealt with. Yes. Meanwhile, she was putting in about 15 hours a week on the blog, and the hard work was slowly paying off. You know, the first year that I was really, really successful at it, I brought in, you know, 40, uh, like 45, 46K. Oh, wow. Yeah. That year, Nikki says her gross income was around $100,000. And that sounds like a lot, and it looks like a lot on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was helping to support my partner who was disabled and my dad who is, you know, uh, almost homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then these two kids without a lot of support. So I didn't have that extra money. But those are all things that her daughter's college didn't take into account. During her sophomore year, they got an update from the financial aid office. I was in the living room 
And she sort of came downstairs with her phone and sort of shoved her phone in my face <laughs> with this email and said, I got this from, you know, the financial aid folks. Every year, financial aid is adjusted based on income. So once Nikki earned more from her blog, the school expected her to pay more the following year. And of course, I, you know, I grab her phone, you know, pinch out the C and, you know, I know exactly where to go to look for that number. Instead of owing $4,000 for the year, they were now expected to pay 14000 I was freaking out big time. So, yeah, I was, it was, oof, yeah. Like, what do we do? I don't even know how to approach this. They're kind of in that gray zone a lot of middle-class families find themselves in. They don't make enough to comfortably cover the cost of college, but they make too much to qualify for the aid they need. It was a little bit of a kick in the gut for me because, you know, who doesn't dream of making like $100,000 and thinking that their life is going to be okay when you make that amount of money? And my life just really wasn't okay at that point. In that moment, Nikki felt like history was repeating itself. It's like, almost like her life flashing in before my eyes. And I was like, I don't want you to stop going to school. We're, we're going to figure out how to do this, but I don't want you stopping going to school. Nikki says it also just felt unfair that the college didn't factor in that she had been supporting two kids for the last 19 years with barely any child support. She knew that she'd have to cut corners. And that's what she did. She stopped saving for her youngest daughter's college and cut back on other expenses. And they made it happen. But she knew she couldn't pull that off the following year, when her youngest daughter would be starting college. Nikki had been mulling over this problem. Then one day at work, she went on a long walk to clear her mind. She was feeling really conflicted. I made all this extra income and I messed her up. Because on the one hand, I wanted to feel a lot of pride on what I was doing with my website and things like that. But on the other hand, it was like, wow, in my head, I did this to her. What I did, did this to her situation. And then it occurred to her. Well, what if you just ditch the extra income? What if you just stop doing that? It was a huge irony. She'd taken on this extra job in order to help her daughters, and now she felt like the only solution was to give up the job so that the school would be able to offer more aid. So I was very very petrified to do that. I thought it could work, but I wasn't sure it could work. She kept blogging, but once some contracts ended, she stopped monetizing. And Nikki's plan worked. They got an update from the financial aid office, and they were back to owing about $4,000 for the year. It was a big relief because I was like, okay, we can do that. (laughs) I feel very confident that between her working and, you know, me contributing what I can, that, that it will be okay at this point. But giving up $40,000 to make college affordable is a huge sacrifice. Without that money, Nikki had to give up her car and use public transportation instead. She's also had to put off stuff like home repairs. What's keeping me up at night now is like, you know, what the heck do I do when I retire? I've made all these decisions and helped these kids to go to school. And, you know, I, I have some in my retirement, but not nearly enough. 
Especially, you know, with this with this pandemic, what happens if, you know, something catastrophic happens in my household? You know, I'm really not equipped to handle that financially at this point. And now, because of the pandemic, Nikki and her girls are up against some even harder decisions. Nikki's youngest got accepted into Howard University and really wants to go. But the campus might not be open in the fall, and the tuition is steeper than Nikki expected. And um, that was really disappointing to me because I have a lot of student loan debt of my own from going to school. And so I can't afford to take on uh, loans for her to go to school. So at this point, we're facing about a $10,000 a semester gap. Um, We haven't thrown in the towel yet. Um, I told her to, you know, get to applying to as many scholarships as she possibly can. She has a job. She's been saving every penny that she makes. I've been saving every penny that I make. But Nikki is still hesitant. So... Just this last week, she thought of a new solution. If um, Howard is online only, I'm going to strongly encourage my daughter to uh, switch streams and consider uh, taking some classes at the community college and see if they will defer her um, enrollment. Because it just seems crazy to me to go on a bunch of debt for when you're, you know, you're paying for that experience. And so if that's not going to happen to me, you know, feels like if you're going to go to school online, uh, the community college here in, in Baltimore is actually uh, tuition-free. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a huge difference. <laughs> yes. Nikki floated this idea to her daughter, but she kind of hates it. She wants to go to Howard. And as a parent, it's sort of, it's really hard to sort of temper that. It's hard to temper between, you know, what you know is your child's heart's desire, and, and not just their heart's desire, but she's trying to do something good with her life. It feels like, you know, no matter which way I go, there isn't a 100% right solution, if that makes sense. Really, Nikki is like a lot of parents who are just trying to do what feels right for their kids, whether that's by sacrificing time or money or both. But she's realizing that sometimes, no matter how much you try or how much you earn, there are things beyond your control. There's a lot of, you know, emotions and dreams and hopes, you know, tied up in going to college. And, you know, it's tough. It's tough to get your kid through college. And I thought it was all my fault. But, you know, maybe, just maybe, we're just working against a really difficult system. And, you know, that doesn't make me a bad parent or a bad person. It's just hard. Coming up after the break, a look at how other college students are coping with an out-of-control situation. Like Nikki and her daughter, a lot of people are grappling with what college will be like in the fall, including this guy. I'd rather be in college right now. It's nice to be with my parents, you know. It's nice. Yeah. But with our parents. Or with our parents. <laughs> with our parents, yeah. That is my brother, Adam. He's 18 and a soon-to-be sophomore at a college in North Carolina. 
As of now, his school is planning to start the semester later and get rid of some of the breaks. And actually just today, some classes have been moved online, like the big lecture classes. Oh, really? Yeah. Like most college students, he wrapped up his last semester with virtual classes and says that was a bit of a nightmare. I, it was just a joke. It was just a joke. Like, nobody was prepared. Everybody yeah. was kind of like just confused. Do you feel like you actually learned anything? No, no. I had one professor who tried to do Zoom and she just gave up. It's, it's, not, it's, like, it's not complicated, but she was like, you know what? Like, I just can't do this. Really? Yeah, so instead she just recorded PowerPoints and had like a voiceover. That sounds awful. And yeah, it was just bad. Be honest, did you actually watch those PowerPoints? No. I mean, like at, the first couple times I did, they're like two hour long videos I just looked at the notes. Honestly, I don't blame him. And even though right now his school says only one of his fall classes will be virtual. I, I'm pretty pretty convinced that we're going online, like, like for, for a while. We have these kind of conversations pretty regularly now. He says he's nervous there will be an outbreak on campus in the fall. Because, frankly, college campuses can be kind of gross. You've got students living in these cramped dorms, eating and partying together in and out of the same classes. It's exactly the kind of place you try to avoid in a pandemic. And schools are scrambling to figure out solutions to make social distancing on campus easier, like by having mandatory testing or converting big gyms into lecture halls or designating a dorm just for students who get sick. And a few have already announced fall semesters that are completely virtual. One of our reporters here at Marketplace, Samantha Fields, has been covering all of this, so I called her up to get a better sense of things, like what it'll mean for colleges to go virtual. To do online education well is absolutely possible, but it's it's a totally different thing. And you don't right. just sort of put a lecture online and, and call it a day, or you can, but it's not going to have the same effect. Right. You know, I talked to a professor in the spring, and not even about this, but it just came up, and she was saying, you know, a lot of my students are frustrated and they're asking, they're asking for a refund. She said, but the irony is all of us professors have been working harder than we ever have mm. to, to figure out how to adapt our curriculums, to, to figure out how to do right by our students online. Well, so then given that, clearly the quality of education, the value of it is going down. It's, it's unequivocally different, right? So with that, do you think we're going to see the cost of education change at all? I don't know. I think that's the million-dollar question here. A lot yeah. of students, most students are saying, hey, you know what? If school is all online going forward, we expect there to be, you know, we expect there to be a discount. We expect to pay less. Mm -hmm. And some, I've seen a few colleges sort of already announce that they are going to either be freezing tuition, so not increasing it, which they typically okay. do every year. Right. Uh, a couple saying that they're, um, that they're discounting tuition. But for the most part, Colleges are still not addressing that. And I think the challenge for them is it still costs pretty much the same or in some cases more to, to provide, you know, instruction. And it's, you know, a lot of colleges still haven't even fully recovered from the 2008 recession, right? Like there have no. been a lot of yeah. budget cuts. And then we see that usually translates into higher tuition. Right, exactly. And also the other thing that's interesting about college tuition, reducing it for everybody, that also means that 
you know, they have less money for financial aid for the students who really mm -hmm. need it. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is one of the things that's a little bit tricky about higher ed pricing is that if you reduce cost for everyone, including, you know, the wealthier kids who can afford to pay whatever it is, then you're really giving them more of a break than giving, right. you know, having you being able to basically use that money from kids who can afford it to then turn around and fund scholarships for, for kids who can't. And, you know, a lot of people, as we know, millions of people are unemployed right now. I, I, I think something like 50% of incoming students uh, or more have had a parent lose a job. Um, mm -hmm. And so there are going to be a lot of kids who are, you know, in need of more financial aid than they were when they first applied and be appealing their financial aid. And so, mm -hmm. you know, colleges are trying to meet that need too. So are we seeing any kind of backlash to the fact that many colleges aren't reducing the costs? Some students individually and then others sort of have come together in class action lawsuits against schools to say, hey, uh, you need to fund us, refund us tuition or partial mm. tuition from the spring because online education, sort of as we were talking about, it has not been the same and we've lost out on a lot of what we were paying for. Right. And so you've been talking with students who've been grappling with all of this. What have they been telling you? Pretty much across the board, they're all bummed. You know, I talked to one student, Anna Para Jordan. You know, she lives in D.C., and she was just really disappointed about the way her senior year ended up in high school. I thought that maybe I should start thinking about a gap year when I, like, the possibility of a second wave in the fall was something that was, you know, being talked about a lot. Because I was just like, I would really rather not have my freshman year end up like my senior year did. So that'd just be like a one-two punch. And then um, one student I talked to who lives in Houston, his name's Gabriel Mount, he was saying, you know, he ended up putting deposits down at two different schools, and a lot of students are doing that this year. Yeah, it is interesting because in the past, that's been really looked down upon, which right. he, you don't, he totally acknowledged. Don't do <laughs> and some guidance counselors I talked to were saying, too, that a lot of kids are doing it this year because there's just so much uncertainty. So is he basically making his decision based off of which school will be open in the fall? You know, I think that's one of the factors. The other factor for him is money. You know, he's definitely really cognizant of the fact that even though his mom still has her job, that could change, that a lot of stuff is really uncertain right now. But he said, ultimately, even if both of the schools end up being online, he, he's going to go anyway because he just wants to stay on track with his education, you know, and go to school. And another thing I've been thinking about around that is... Mm -hmm. Even if, you know, you decide not to go to school, what are you going to do? I mean, I think it's right. going to be really hard for a lot of high school students or college students who don't have degrees yet to find jobs in this market. Um, you know, right. or internships or travel, all of the, a lot of the different things you might want to do with a year off from school. Right. I was thinking the same exact thing. I think when most people take gap years, it's usually to travel or to have a cool experience, which is like... Or to work and save a little money, to work. you know. <laughs> Uh, but one student I talked to, Sage Segura, was saying he had gotten into his dream school, which is, you know, a private college, um, mm. got a lot of financial aid, but it was still really expensive. And his grandmother, who's raising him, had lost her job, so they mm. were really worried about money. But he's saying, you know what, if school is remote in the fall, it would give me a chance to save on room and board. So, yeah, it would almost be like a little bit of a blessing in disguise if it's online through fall semester. It's almost like I'm given like this time, like this little <laughs> free period to like get money before I go. So I know that this might be a little hard to answer, but do you think we might see less value placed on higher ed moving forward? 
You know, I don't know. It's I, it's interesting because I think there is that's a question people have been asking a lot in recent years. Just as as the cost has gone up and as the student debt problem has become so much mm. bigger, you know, ultimately college is we've for better or worse gotten to this point in our society where college is a major pathway yeah. to you know better jobs to making more money and um, you know people with college degrees overall do generally make more money over the course of their life, even with the debt factored in, even if it doesn't feel like that sometimes at first. And, you know, I've also just been thinking about the fact that during the coronavirus, during the pandemic, people with college degrees have been less likely to lose their jobs. That has been coming out in, in survey after survey. And so to me, the question right now is what are people going to be willing to pay for it? And also, are our attitudes towards online education going to change at some of these sort of more elite institutions, some of these top institutions that have been really resistant to it? Um, are they going to be more willing to sort of open up and sort of increase access to education yeah. for, for lower income students, maybe still have their on campus version for full price, but then have certain programs that people mm. can do online and pay less for um, that might, you know, democratize education to some degree? I don't know, maybe I'm being too optimistic. If you're going through this right now and want to share what's on your mind and how money is playing into your choices, we'd love to hear from y'all. As always, you can shoot us a note at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. All right, that is all for this week's show. This is Uncomfortable as me, Rima Khreis, Megan Dietrich, Haley Hirschman, Peter Balanon-Rosen, Daisy Palacios, and Eliza Mills. Our intern is Daniel Martinez. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Charlton Thorpe is our audio engineer. Satara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. Deb Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, I'll catch y'all soon. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway, maybe somewhere tropical. Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app.